Hello and welcome to the New Frontiers podcast. My name is Tommy Easterby, Head of Venture Capital Coverage here at Barclays. I'm joined with BJ today from Supper Networks. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. We want to chat to you today around all things Gen Z. You've just participated in our panel around uh, Gen Z and uh, entrepreneurs of that generation. Um, kind of wanted to pick your brains on a few things around that, if that's right. I'm excited. Let's do it. Cool. Um, so at the grand old age of 14, was it? Mm-hmm. Started your first business. Tell us about that. What, what inspired you to kind of get into that? Yeah, so um, 14, I started a natural business and got built a little team at school. It was a tuck shop. Um, and what inspired me to start that was um, in a community center in the last for the last two years prior to that, so 12 to 13, I had been spending time rather than just playing sports, actually organizing talent shows and selling merch and working with musicians to release their own little mixtapes. Oh, nice! At the time, we still had C- CDs. Yeah, um, <laughs> was a still thing in okay. 2008. Whereas now, like, yeah, um, you know, CDs are nice to have, but people will stream sits the music. on the shelf, right? Yeah, it's put, it sits <laughs> on the shelf. So. Um, I'd spent a couple of years away, like before DCCs, in the community doing things. Um, so I was always excited at the possibility of doing a bigger project because those projects were kind of smaller projects. Yep. Um, and got getting to GCC business, I realised very quickly within the first term that we wasn't going to do anything practical. Okay. And the the most practical thing we did was host a raffle. And <laughs> I'd grown up watching Dragons Den, Apprentice, oh, nice. seen all these shows, and thought wait, this is not how you're meant to do it. And there's a culture that was available in my school because of the Jamie Oliver revolution that um, we had lots of um, kind of well-made sandwiches and Mm -hmm. uh, snacks available at lunchtime. But break time, traditionally, a couple of years ago, prior, there would have been Doritos and pizzas people to purchase at break time. There no longer was that. So a lot of students who were older in year 11 would sell... Kit Kats and smoothies okay. to the younger year. Yep. And if they got caught, it would get confiscated. Okay. So I, I saw that as a gap in market. I was like, look, I'd love to do that, but I'd love to have permission to do it yeah, on a yeah, grander yeah. scale. Um, and it's kind of like the table we're sat on now. I, I pitched for the school to allow me to have a table, put a cloth over it, and make a shop and have a couple of other business students run a shop. Um, and I didn't really realize the significance or the, the, the scale of what happened, but I had to go and pitch to the head teacher, assistant head, and to all the senior leaders mm-hmm. um, in one evening after school. And yep. then I had to go pitch to the governors. And I just used the kind of skills I'd learned um, whilst doing drama to kind of give the performance. Okay. Um, but I had to utilize like the buzzwords we're learning at business yeah, at the time. Like yeah. it's a black market, it's a great opportunity for us to learn skills. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I started the first business and that's how we kind of got into it. And so what... That, how's, how's that business grown into what you're doing today? Um, so that business uh, was my first kind of taste of giving back. So originally I had built a team um, and we were selling every day and we learned a lot of skills together. Um, and the following year I went into two other secondary schools locally and got them to set up school shops. Okay. And the young people were learning and giving me feedback and I would supply the goods and they'd run it and make their own profits. Yep. Um Franchising almost. Franchising, essentially. Yeah. And we worked with over 100 schools and 5,000 students in four years. Yeah. So that was like stage one of super growth. And we did that for uh, as a brand called Super Tuck. And then I wanted to find a branch out. And I went into pop-up shops and pop-up retail. Um, 2015, 2014 was a, a really massive kind of change in the retail landscape in the UK. And a lot of my friends were building startups where they were working with landlords who had empty shop fronts. Yep. 
and they had a lot of commercial brands do deals and I thought wait why can't teenagers like us and mm. university students like me kind of go out and do things um, so I was three weeks into my university course and I walked away from my £9,000 a year degree to kind of focus on retail in the adult space because it, it okay. was more interesting to me and it was more of a practical way to learn about yeah. business again um, we did that for two years and we culminated with building the UK's first pop-up market we partnered with Barclays Life Skill on a year partnership um, and worked with over 10,000 young people that year. Um, we also partnered with Ryland, Facebook, Pepsi Max, etc. A, a lot of big corporates yep. um, who supported us financially and gave us the, the leeway to build a program that was similar to what I'd done at SuperTuck, which was more for a group of 10 students, but did this for 500 students and got them to take over a warehouse and trade and learn about business in a really dynamic way. So getting those 500 students to kind of similar to the, the, the tech shop, be yeah. able to franchise that pop-up um, retail environment retail, but then also yeah. run a massive warehouse for a weekend. Okay. So we accommodated with that experience um, and that led to, into me doing some consultancy and working on marketing campaigns and in today's climate, 10 years later, I now spend a lot of my time working with large corporates and also scale-ups, helping them to identify better talent and also when they have talent internally, make them a lot more awesome. So yep. essentially kind of trying to tackle the diversity issue that you okay. see at work but my main thing is how do you make everyone more awesome yep. and I look at it from a lens of let's improve post-age teen education mm-hmm. because unless it's compulsory people are not always listening to podcasts taking up new skills yeah, 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 yeah. how do you allow someone to kind of go on a personal growth journey because doing that in my opinion is a really good way to enable your staff to be more efficient because yep. they're more happier and more aligned with their kind of North Star yeah and so you talk there about kind of helping them go on their personal journeys. Is, is that around kind of like putting tools there or helping them when they do you want to reach out or actually kind of like giving people the indication of this is the sort of stuff you could do? Yeah, so I think any any coaching and any kind of foresight that we do at Brand Super is always with one where we look at experiences being the key. Mm-hmm. So I you can't force anyone to kind of go in this position or that position. There's a few of us sat in a room today and not like we're not here because we've been told to be here. You generally gravitate towards things you, that interest you. Yep. And if you don't, at some point you get a light bulb moment and you have to kind of go that way. So I try to create experiences and we try to create experiences with a corporate or with a brand because they enable you to kind of access other resources and assets that you might not have available to you. Yeah. So that in practice might look like a, a company coming to us and saying, right, we want to find a lot more better young people. So at the moment we're working with Facebook and the kind of question they're asking is, Gen Z are not coming out of education prepared for digital skills yeah, unless yeah. they're studying computer science. What does the history student, what does the marketing student, what does the financial economic student know about cybersecurity, social marketing, and all the other stuff that you need in the digital world? Yep. So we're spending time with corporates like them to kind of curate curriculums and then put together a team of coaches to go and roll it out and teach people on the front end before they come into the industry. Yeah. Um, and the way we teach them is not coming in and giving you a textbook, it's let's build an experience. Let's yeah. take over your day, let's take over today as a day and break it up and teach you a few topics, make it dynamic, make it fast, give you life challenges to learn. Yeah. All the stuff that you might know because you hear it in industry, but it's not really the standard everywhere. And it's not something that's coming out for people that are of a kind of that younger generation yeah, sure. that actually kind of being able to give you that um, almost like parts of a career distilled into one event. Yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, Thank you. 
With regards to the panel today, yep. um, all around um, all things Gen Z, yep. in the media and across a lot of um, commentary uh, at the moment, there's a fixation on the label of millennials. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that um, that has become one of the most studied generation labels. And there's been a considerable amount of like negative connotations that have come in uh, around that particularly around kind of millennials being a snowflake, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we often feel that that label is just broadened to all young people now. Mm. Um, and the cutoff between Gen Z, the truly digital natives, and millennials is very much blurred in the same way that what qualifies as a millennial. Um, given Gen Z is a distinct demographic grouping separate to millennials, how mm. do you respond to some of those labels that are coming out to just the youth population as a whole? Well, my first response is it's one of relevance. So I think this is the first generation where they're not affected by the newspaper. I don't know the last time I picked up a paper and read it, mm-hmm. let alone even purchase a paper. Yep. Um, so if if multiple of these kind of stigmas are being at play in, in wider conversations amongst older generation, I don't think it's really affected. So it almost, it's almost a case of like... It's does, irrelevant to yeah, us. Doesn't yeah, that, does it impact because you? Because it's not in our day-to-day conversation. Yeah. It's not even in our week-to-week conversation. So that's like part A of like understanding the context of what's been said. Yep. It's, it's a conversation that's just happening up here, yep. not in the space. Whereas I think with other, gener- other generations, because there wasn't so much information bombarded with us every day, there wasn't multiple phones, multiple devices. If a certain generation had a thought about you, you'd kind of hear it and you'd yep. feel it that way. Whereas... I, you, you just look at Brexit as like maybe a, a quarter of the, our generation or a third of a generation are maybe engaged in mm-hmm. what it even means. Yeah. Like there's so much in life going on. I don't think, you know, people even think about the stigmas attached. So that's part A. And then part B is um, for those that are away, I think um, ultimately a late, you can't label, just with any other generation, you can't label everyone the same. Yeah. There's so many different multiple intricacies and mini tribes that exist. Yeah. Um, that that is what I'd find more interesting. It's like there's yeah, there's a label, it's a general perception, but if you look at the reality, you know, you, they're not, we're not all the same. Stereotyping like, yeah. a large population doesn't yeah. necessarily give you the reflection of actually the exactly. dynamics and the and the connotations that are being felt by different pockets of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, with regards to some of those labels and stereotypes that you see for Gen Z. Yeah. Anything that in particular that resonates with you and from, particularly from like an entrepreneurial perspective? So yeah. you've been building your business and actually seeing seeing some of those perceptions around being a young person and doing that. Yeah, I think um, the thing that resonates with me the most is that there's a big perception that we're the most kind of socially active generation. We're the most um, kind of passionate when it comes to fighting for things that matter mm-hmm. to us. Um, so I'm always aware of whenever I release a product or service or whenever I'm working with a large corporate to have that in the back of my mind. We're not just going to walk into any deal or any campaign without, you know, thinking about, right, do we have a diverse group of people here? Um, what, where is the product coming from? Like there's a lot of factors that are at play. We're not just like, you know, overlooking things. There's a lot more thought that goes into everything. Um, and I think that's only a good thing. Absolutely. And I only see it kind of becoming more and more integral especially because when you don't do it you get called out on Twitter or on Instagram and you go viral yep. so I think people are becoming aware and we've seen corporates and young startups kind of make mistakes and some of it can be detrimental and some yep. of it isn't so 
I'm always kind of aware, especially of any enterprise I do, that there's a power in the community and the community is really real. And I have recently found out that Gen Z make up 25% of the world population. So absolutely, you know, they're going to shout about it and review anything you do say or do. And no voice is too small. Like you've got, you have people who have less than 2,000 followers and they can make one or two comments and if it resonates with enough people, that can snowball and be viral that evening. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're going to become an influencer and become 100,000 followers, but just that comment and that thought process if it's put out in the world anyone can receive it and, and it can ripple effect do you think your peers those individuals that, that that are kind of as you say with fewer followers and have that kind of small or, or, or initially perceived small uh, impact that actually they do feel that they that that voice is or still has the potential to be as loud yeah for sure because no matter what social platform you're on you've witnessed at some point something go viral and you know that is not always from yeah, the big people. Absolutely. So everyone knows, you know, if that their voice matters. Sometimes they forget. Yeah. But they get reminded when they see. Oh, like the other day, I I saw someone do a complaint about a TV ad that was up, and you know, a, a community that she resonated with and spoke with all interacted. Um, and it just goes back to the whole idea of tribes. Like there's there's pockets of communities that sit online that represent any interest anyone can have. Yeah. It could be from gaming. It could be from gender. It could always also be to religion there's so many different places and conversations happening at any one time that you can be a part of yeah and i think some of that aspect is really beginning to so, so, so some of those uh, functions they really do um pull the whole debate and psyche towards it i think having um a very vocal youth demographic who are as you say willing to complain willing to um expect more willing to ask questions about um the ethical impact for example that is pulling the debate and making large corporates traditional industries more mature businesses be focused on mm-hmm. that um, and that's something over the 15 years of my career i've seen change um and that's only for the better really isn't it exactly absolutely um with regards to your journey, uh, your entrepreneurship journey so far, um, what advice would you give to young people um, when they're setting out on, on that sort of thing? So the first advice, because hmm, there isn't really one, they're, they're kind of all in, in, interconnected. Um, so my advice to a young entrepreneur when starting out would be one of know why you're interested to build the product or service that you're looking to do mm-hmm. because... I guarantee you it's going to be hard days. Find your purpose. You know, find your purpose, but know why you're doing that. Yes. Um, and with that, be patient. Uh, okay. So work hard. and You know you've got to work hard. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But you've got a purpose and you've got to overlay that with patience because you might have a couple of successes and then have three steps back. But that patience is what's going to kind of, in the long run, pay dividends. Like if you keep chipping at it, chipping at it, chipping at it and iterating, not, not being too scared, just go, right, cool. So, for example, my business, we do talent consultancy and help businesses out. This is our first proposition. Actually, we spoke to the market and they think this, this, this. doesn't mean we go balls on. It means, right, let's maybe change or look at what we do. Yep. So be agile, but still be patient because the core North Star hasn't changed. Yes. Um, and that's, for me, a relevant point that I've learned over the years. I yep. think everyone should kind of keep it top of mind. Yeah. So find your North Star. Yeah. Lock into your mission, but be patient. Yeah. And I think that's kind of advice that could stretch more from entrepreneurship, but into lots of different things. Mm, potentially, yeah. yeah. It's a very uh, philosophical way to Let end, end, end our <laughs> chat, I think. Amazing. Thank you, BJ. That's been really interesting. Respect. Cheers, mate.
Barclays Bank PLC is not liable for the impact of any decisions made based on the information contained or the views expressed. Barclays Bank PLC is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. More details, including how you can contact us, are in the description of this podcast. 